0: You need indeed.
1: Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for 3 and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three point line and hits again. Memories have been made.
2: Caliber, a deep three for the lead. And there it
1: is. Great basketball has been played.
2: Nemhard away. Hits a three but
1: it's a In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots,
0: and, 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 and
1: but this, this is Indiana, yeah. and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go. Your go-to. Pacers Podcast Setting the pace
2: with Alex Afaci Alex Afy Alex and Allison Setting the pace with Alex Afaci Alex Afci Alex and Allison Setting the pace with Alex Afaci Alex Afarci Alex and Allison Setting the pace with Alex Afaci Alex Afarci Alex and Allison We got pacers hooping less talk stats Hot takes all fast New topics Updates Three pointers fast breaks We keep scoring We don't need to stop New episodes weekly drops Number one podcast sweeping their team. we gonna need a mic Set in the pace with Alex and Alexa Alex and Fauci, Alex and, Alex and Set in the pace with Alex and Alexa Alex and Alex Set in the pace with Alex and Alexa Alex and Fauci, Alex and, Alex and Set in the pace with Alex and Alexa Alex and Fauci, Alex and, Alex and. Alex and. Alex and. Alex and. Nation what's going on? Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast. I'm your host Alex Golden. I'm joined today by my lovely co-host Michael J. fachi fachi I haven't thrown out a lovely in a while but we haven't seen a win in a while so it's
1: about time. Hey, I guess it's fitting then and you know what there's worse things to be called a lovely but the Pacers the skid is over are we back I don't know did we need this win absolutely it was a win that to be honest I wasn't that confident in but the way the Pacers played tonight they never had a look over their shoulder led by as many as 27 and never trailed
2: absolutely beautiful performance from Indiana from start to finish but before we get into the game We've got some business to take care of because he was number one in fan voting for East Guards. He was number one in media voting for East Guards. And oh yeah, he was number one in voting for players for East Guards. And we're talking about your starter for the NBA All-Star Game in Indianapolis, Indiana, making his first All-Star Start debut, Tyrese Halliburton. Bocce. How excited were you to see the point God
1: get this award? It was unbelievable. I mean, truly, it was just like, this was not some like, I don't know, pity type of thing. Like, ah, come on, let Indiana have one. the, The game's in Indiana. He earned this. The fact that it was undisputed across the board, number one. I mean, that was awesome to see. I just feel that. It showed that that, you know, Tyrese is looked at as a star in the making right now. That it didn't matter whether it was, you know, this, this part of the vote or that. He got number one in all the everything that mattered. That was awesome to see. And just the fourth pacer to start in an all-star game behind Reggie, Jermaine O'Neal, and Paul George. It's that's great company to be in. That's uh, some of the greats of this franchise. I know it's,
2: it's just crazy to think about just the trajectory that we've seen Halliburton overcome so many different things. The trade from Sacramento, just taking this franchise by the horns and and, and just running with it and putting them on the map. Yeah. Absolutely. Love to see it. It was so cool. I was at the game tonight, so I wanted to be there just to kind of see Pascal Siakam in person. I was excited. Couldn't make it on Tuesday. So I was like, I got to make it Thursday. I'm glad I went to this game instead, obviously.
0: Yeah, it was
2: it was really cool to just see Tyrese Halliburton get love from the fans as they shared the video clip from TNT in the arena of Tyrese being named an all star starter. The sound was really hard to hear. So it was a little bit of a bummer because you could barely hear what they were saying. But a lot of cheers there. I will say, though, it was a kind of a weak crowd tonight in, in Cambridge
1: Fieldhouse, not a very loud crowd. I got a quick comment on that. I saw tickets were as cheap as four dollars. Yeah. It's like, come on, this is Pacers for 76ers. This is a good matchup over here. Well, and it's just like, you know, I
3: mean I 4 talk, bucks.
2: I talked to somebody tonight before the game, shout out Gentry, and he went to the Nuggets game for three dollars. Three dollars. If you can't go to a game for $3, $4, what are you doing if you call yourself a fan and you live here locally? If you live here locally, that's all I'm going to say.
1: I mean, here's the thing, I mean, I pretty much grabbed a little, you know, paper bag and puked in it when I bought my ticket for Pacers versus Knicks in Madison Square Garden. I mean, the ticket, they're, they're so expensive, it's sickening. Yeah. So it's just like when I see that, I'm like, how – we? More fans need to show up. I mean, you're talking about you buy a bottle of water it's more than the price of the cheapest ticket. Like, come that's, on. That's, so, that's a good point. <laughs> I just feel like fans got to get out there because this is a really exciting team that is scoring at a historic rate. I just feel like, you know, GameBridge, it's a special place where you can pack, you know, the, the arena. And I, I just want to see it packed a little bit more to give that, uh, give that home court advantage type of feel. I know... Fans might be a little bit skeptical. I think, you know, later in the season, I think we'll see it be packed a little bit more, especially come playoff time. But obviously we got to get there first.
2: Absolutely. Well, before we get into the game, there was some other news that we wanted to talk about today on the podcast. And this is involving a power forward from the Golden State Warriors, Fauci. I don't know if you heard the latest rumors or not, but Draymond Green loves the Indiana Pacers and what they did in getting Pascal Siakam. And not only does he love Pascal Siakam, he loves an individual by the name of Benedict Matherin and thinks that there is a high ceiling for him. I, I, I know you saw this clip that I shared today on social media. I don't care. I, I don't know if you care or not, but I would like to read what he said in case anybody didn't get a chance to, to hear this. So because we're not allowed to play the audio on this podcast uh, of Draymond's podcast without copyright issues, I'm just going to read what he said. He said, whether they, which means Indiana, can ultimately push this thing to where we all want to go. The key to that is Benedict Matherin. That kid, I think, has a great deal of potential. He's a go-getter. He's not soft at all. You're not bullying him. He ain't backing down. He can shoot it well enough. He can handle it. He's pretty athletic. Benedict Matherin is the key to that team. I love his potential. I love that draft pick for the Pacers, and I think he's on a good trajectory. It doesn't happen overnight. That's a part of the growth. That's a part of getting young guys and grooming them. But what Benedict Matherin can become will decide ultimately what that franchise can become. Tyrese is great. He's one of the better point guards in the league for sure. Pascal Siakam, champion, All-NBA, All-Star. Miles Turner is a great rim protector. Knock the three down athletic will finish on you. Buddy, we know Buddy's shooting it, but Benedict Mathern is the key. His growth will ultimately determine how far the Indiana Pacers can take it.
1: There's a lot of truth in that statement because we've always felt like, hey, look, if, if Mather could reach his full potential, this Pacers team, they're dangerous. I mean, if you had already, you know, Halliburton and Siakam and, and Turner, and then Mather reaches his full potential, all of a sudden, that's all. That's a dangerous team. But Draymond, he knows. I mean, there's certain guys that around the league, like, you got to trust his word, is like, Matherin, he's a dog. Everybody's labeled him as a dog. Like, he's not going to back down. He, he's he got the utmost confidence, and some of that stuff, you either have it or you don't, and he's he has that, and it's going to take time. He's still really young, but yeah, there was a great stat going around on Twitter of you know, Matherin's production in wins compared to losses, mm-hmm. and on the season, he's averaging 17 points per game in wins, shooting 51% and just over 46% from three. But in the losses, he's averaging sub-11 points per game, just below 38%, and then 15.5% from three. So you could see, you know, in wins, Matherin's a big part of that. In the losses, it's when he struggles. And it's like, it for, this, for him coming off the bench, he is a big part of, like, could you be the sixth man on this team? If right now, if he could fill that role, it's going to be great for the Pacers. We'll see eventually what he can become. But for now, I mean, it, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. This team, they're that much better when Matherin's on. I will say
2: this. Matherin can be a very frustrating player to watch. And when he has his high highs, you're just like, man, what a ceiling. But when he hits, when he hits those low lows, you're like, is he ever going to get there? But I love what Draymond said here because I think this is the biggest part that drives me nuts about people with Matherin and their expectations for him and, like, blaming Rick Carlisle for not playing him more. And basically, a lot of people put the blame on Rick Carlisle for holding Benedict Matherin back. But I loved what Draymond Green said here. He said, I love the draft pick for the Pacers, and I think he's on a good trajectory. It doesn't happen overnight. you got to realize that. you got to be patient with these guys. He said that's a part of the growth. That's a part of getting young guys and grooming them. And that's what you're seeing this coaching staff do. They could easily hand the reins to Ben Matherin, say, hey, go out there and do whatever you can, but just get better and work on your game. But that's not what's best for this team. And I think as you build a winning culture, you go out and get winning players that are willing to sacrifice, Benedict Matherin is only going to learn from those guys and continue to grow. So for me, there's been times where I'm like, man, if if they could include him in a trade to get somebody that makes a little more sense, should they do it? And I've contemplated, maybe they should. I really have because I wonder about I do worry about the fit sometimes but when you hear a guy like Draymond Green who I respect with his basketball IQ I think Draymond is one of the smartest players in the game he right is. now and I can't wait till he's an analyst because he does have a lot of very high basketball IQ uh thoughts he just knows the game very well so when he speaks like this yeah you're right maybe maybe we do need to pump the brakes if we're having a little bit of concerns about Benedict Matherin, because he's in year 2 and maybe he does have that year three breakout year like Paul George did in his third year. Good. I believe
1: it. He's absolutely capable of it. Draymond did four years at Michigan State. You look at his rookie year stats, even his second year, there's nothing to be able to, you know, write home about and tell someone. I mean, he averaged three points per game his rookie year, like second year, six points per game. I mean, I know Draymond's not really a scorer, but it's just like there wasn't all The shooting percentages were rough. And look what he developed into. He developed into a potential Hall of Famer, a defensive player of the year, a champion, a, a lot of great stuff. Matherin is very young, and the flashes have been blinding at times. He, he is that good, could be that good, but yeah, you want to see it on a consistent basis. But the guy that I trust is Rick Carlisle. Mm-hmm. The people that are saying right now, like, ah, Carlisle's holding everybody back. Pacers this is the best that they've been in a couple of years. Like why are we always finding something to complain about? So Mm. Draymond, yeah, I trust his word. He's the guy on the court. He's got a great eye for who has it and who doesn't. And that validation right over there, it's great to see. Absolutely. So
2: now let's get to the game, Fauci, because the Pacers win this one. I don't even remember what the final score was. I was in the arena and I
1: can't even tell you what the final score is. What was the final score? 134 to 122. It was a game that indiana it just came too easy for them tonight. It really
2: did. And I will say this, you know, you actually did a second part of this podcast with a guest and you guys kind of dive into this. What else did you guys talk about on that?
1: So, you know, in, in this, we, we talked about the game, but we also talked about, you know, kind of how, you know, is Philly going to make a move? You know, we talked about the power, you know, the power rankings right now of, of the East. And it's like, hey, you got a lot of teams that made moves of Milwaukee and offseason traded for Dane, Boston you know made the move for drew holiday now miami's traded for terry roger the Knicks have traded for og the pacers have traded for siakam what's philly gonna do and then brian uh our guest you know had mentioned you know hey look i don't know if indiana will win in the first round but whoever it is i feel bad for the team they play because they're gonna be exhausted and i felt like the pacers right now they they gave Philly a run tonight, and this is the second time on the year that they beat Philly. They're now mm-hmm. eleven and six against the teams that rank above them in the East. So it just and feels like eleven and four, even better. I was even sleeping on them, so you know you can just <laughs> see right now. It's like this Pacers team they get up for the big games, and tonight they got up.
2: Pascal Siakam drops a triple double. Flatchy, he was on fire tonight. Was a plus thirty. For the game, the Pacers were 30 points better (laughs) than Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and the Philadelphia 76ers when Pascal Siakam was on the floor. Like, talk about an efficient night. 9 of 13 from the field, 26 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists, plus 30 for the game, only two turnovers. I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was just like he was feeling so comfortable out there. And you know what? Rome wasn't built in the day. And Pascal Siakam is starting to get his footing here in Indiana. We knew it was only going to be a matter of time, but this was a great way to kind of break out of that losing streak slump. It was kind of like the curse hanging over him of like the Pascal Siakam, their 0 three when he's on the team. Well, you know, Legion hoops or whoever you think you are. That's cool. Your little statistics don't mean anything anymore because the Pacers now have a victory with Pascal Siakam and didn't last very long for your little, Oh, Pacers zero and three with Pascal Siakam.
1: This is ridiculous. All we got to do right now is insert the LeVar ball clip. What's the Pacers record when Pascal Siakam practices with the Pacers? <laughs> 1-0. Give the man a practice first. Undefeated, I mean, never lost. Und- undefeated. So it's just like this team just needed a little bit of time to gel. I mean, they played good basketball, but it's it's more of just like going off of, hey, we got a really good player that we're going to plug in. Let's, let's see what we can do with him. Well, Siakam looked far more comfortable tonight you know the triple double i knew in the first quarter he was on to something he had like seven points six boards five assists like this is officially triple double watch but i loved his comments after the game with jeremiah johnson talking about he feels the love and support from everybody and quote wants to make indiana home that really got me hyped up for (laughs) all the naysayers who said "Ah, that's a lot to give up for siakam just to walk in the offseason all of a sudden, this man looks pretty happy to me, and that's just one win. What's going to happen when we start to string together quite a few and he's actually playing with Tyrese Halliburton? I think that man's going to be uh, quite ecstatic.
2: I mean, what a what a comment from Pascal Siakam, just basically like openly committing to Indiana. Uh, he didn't point. have to do that. He didn't. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, like, the organization has done a great job. I mean, think about the whole Jalen Smith situation last year, or was it last year or two years ago? Two years ago, time's flying. Right when he was a free agent and there was a possibility he could leave and get more money elsewhere. And everybody just gave him love and praise around the organization. And you could just feel like there was a video of Pascal doing some media day stuff because he hasn't had his Pacers media day yet. So he had to go and do all the stuff that they do on media day and his Pacers uniforms. And you could just see like the whole entire office there in that video, just like clapping and this is making him feel at home. And it's just like, Pacers organization, like ps e they do such a great job with letting these players know how appreciated they are and that they're so grateful that they're on this team. And I just got to give a shout-out to all the people over there that just put in the extra effort to, to make Pascal feel at home as much as he can. And we know that he said he's going to be living out of a hotel for a little while until he gets himself settled in. But you know what? I think he's going to be all right if the Pacers keep playing basketball like they did tonight.
1: I think so. I think he's going to be able to uh... – you know, pick out a pretty nice house, you know. But for now, I think at this point, yeah, you know, the hotel, that, that'll have to do whatever it is that he wants to do until they put, you know, pen to paper. But I, I think for now we're seeing a guy that is feeling the appreciation when we know that he was coming off of Toronto where he was pretty hurt. It's, a, it's the only team that he had known in the NBA, and obviously he would have loved to have ideally worked out a long-term contract there. That's not how things worked out. But there is a team that very much does want to have him you know sign a long-term contract and be here and, and grow with this team. And I just feel like also Miles Turner has played really well since playing with Pascal Siakam. That's oh, yeah. been great to see. Uh you know kind of transitioning over to Turner tonight. I wanted to make sure I gave Turner his flowers because in the past Joel Embiid had, had gotten the best of Miles Turner. And Joel Embiid has gotten the best of just about every other center in the NBA. So, you know, that it's it's uh you know Hat off to Joel Embiid, who just dropped 70 the other night. I felt like Turner did not back down. He made Embiid work for everything. And yeah, Mm. Embiid on the box score, 31 points. It's great, whatever. But Turner brought it to him on the offensive end. 20 points, nine boards. I think it was great. The Patriots had great help defense on Embiid as well. So that was something that really stood out to me. And Turner, Siakam playing together, it's been nice to see.
2: They're really starting to find that chemistry together, and it's only going to get better. But, yeah, I thought it was a great job. And Joel Embiid's really tough to defend. Still got to the free throw line, had 10 free throw attempts in this game, and it's just kind of frustrating how he does that sometimes. But you just got to stay down on him. I think Miles did a really good job in the first quarter kind of forcing Embiid out of the paint. And we saw him taking a lot of, like, one-legged fadeaway shots and, Mm -hmm. you know, hit some threes, too. He did get Miles in the air on, like, a pump fake one time, and I'm like, Miles, you can't fall for that stuff. You know that. Just let Embiid shoot the three. Like, I'd rather Embiid shoot 10 threes. Oh, yeah. Pump fake and get to the foul line and get you in trouble because we need Miles on the court to really help the Pacers have a good chance of winning. So I thought Miles had a really solid game. Um, a guy that kind of had an up and down game, Andrew Nimhard, 19 points, eight assists. But Fachi, if you're ever planning on flying to Indiana soon, you know, I heard he's opening a bakery shop here, uh, had some apple and some uh, cherry turnovers because that's what he's really specializing in recently, Fachi. I mean, the amount of tra- the amount of travels that he got called for tonight, really, like, this was, like, the big negative for tonight's game. Like, the amount of travels and turnovers that he had, like, with all the all the traveling that he did, you might want to see if he has any frequent flyer miles because if you're wanting to come to Indiana, right there, Fachi, you, you probably get some free ones from Andrew Nimard. Pretty easy, uh, pretty cheap trip for you.
1: It, there was rumors the luggage was on him. I mean, he kept it <laughs> on. It. This man was traveling. It was tough to see. It felt like at one point... It was almost he got called for it. Was, it might not have been back to back travels, but there was like two travels in a very short span. And they, the nineteen points is a season high. Great to see the six turnovers. That's aggressive. Oh, it pretty much almost wipes out the eight turn. Uh, eight assists. So a little bit tough to see, but nice to see him. You know, get back to being able to score the ball at a higher rate. Like I mentioned, you know, the other episode, two episodes ago. It's been great to see Nimhart in the starting lineup, getting that opportunity again and. I thought the starters just overall played really well. I think you know Buddy had a little bit of a bounce back performance, still a little bit of quiet game, but eleven points, four of six shooting. Thought that was great. Just overall, a seven Pacers in double figures. That's kind of been our recipe for success.
2: Recipe for success, indeed, Flatchy. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Matherin, I thought he had another good first half. I felt like that second unit really struggled in the fourth quarter. They did. Like it did. That was probably the longest three minutes of my life, (laughs) watching them just. It looked like a pinball machine out there. Between both teams, they were just throwing the ball around, falling all over the court, and Reed was killing Isaiah Jackson. Yep. That was so bad. I was like, man, Isaiah's not making a good case for himself or why he should be playing more. But Jalen Smith, nine minutes tonight, didn't play incredibly well. He fouled out in nine minutes. That's not good. No, so, no it's not. Yeah, backup bigs, not or good tonight. But uh, you know what? Kendall Brown got two minutes tonight. So shout out him. Obi Toppin lot of inconsistent play from obi Toppin as well i did not like a lot of the things that he did tonight like a step back three like what are we doing obi that's not your game yeah
0: but catch and
1: shoot obi looked pretty good no he did and i think uh, obi produced early on in this in this game he had a good second quarter and then i kind of feel like you know there wasn't really that much going on i think he had i don't know maybe nine points in the second quarter but I think it was interesting, you know, Isaiah Jackson was someone who didn't get into this game until, you know, pretty late. Um, So, you know, we'll see what happens there. Obviously, Jairus Walker doesn't make an appearance while we saw Kendall Brown make an appearance and Ben Shepard logged 15 minutes. So, I don't know, I, I kind of felt when the Pacers were up big, you know, they could have probably brought in, uh, you know, Jairus, give him an opportunity. But at the same point, look, if that's the biggest complaint in a 12-point win where it's really when the Pacers were up almost 30 against Philly, I mean, come on. At some point, we gotta just stop complaining about things. So. Yeah, why
2: would they why they go back to Obi? Why not just put Jarrison? I mean,
1: I, I, I is that is it. that are they
2: trying to showcase Obi? I,
1: don't, I It's actually not a bad idea. We got a little conspiracy theory over here. Why not? But with the trade deadline being two weeks away, anything is possible. So, <laughs> is possible. It's, it, who knows? But yeah, Obi Toppin. I don't know how much of a showcase was. Hey, but at the same point, thirteen and five. You know. All right. Hey, not, not, not bad. A couple turnovers, but you know, it is yeah. what it is. Um, but yeah, no, we remains to be seen. And this is where I knew early on. I mean, I was like, Jalen Smith was one of the later guys to get in, in terms of like, you know, there was OB, there was uh, TJ McConnell, you know, Matherin. And I started, it started being like, okay, how is this rotation going to shake out with Jalen and Isaiah both healthy? And both guys really didn't play that many minutes tonight. I think obviously Jalen was more of the foul trouble, but between Jalen and Isaiah Jackson just 14 minutes combined
2: yeah I mean it was a it was a rough night for the backup centers no doubt about it but overall it was a great game for the Pacers like you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast 27 point lead was the largest for the Pacers Philadelphia you know how many times they led the night never zero never Never.
1: never happened 48
2: minutes the Pacers dominated from start to finish so one of the best complete games for the Indiana Pacers. They're now six in the Eastern Conference. They've got the Suns, and then hopefully Tyrese Halliburton will return on month, excuse me on Sunday against Memphis. So I'm gonna go ahead and get out of the way. I was not supposed to be on this podcast. We were. I was gonna take a break, but this game was too big. There's too many we important things. I, I just felt like you know, Fachi. I was like there's too much happening. I thought about doing like a solo segment when and like pre like pre editing stuff like when I'm doing things. Nah, I just had to get the boys back together. We couldn't separate for this one. It was too big of a game. And then I know that it's going to be a lot of fun to end this podcast with a different perspective from a Philadelphia side of things because we can be homers, no doubt about it. So nice to get another perspective. Brian's going to come on. Brian works for Bleacher Report, I believe that is, right?
1: He does. Mm -hmm.
2: So Brian from Bleacher Report, I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, well, when Faji comes back, because I won't be here. Him and Brian talking all things Pacers
0: Sixers. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. The Knot is where you'll find vendors for every wedding. Floral to fawn over. Cakes you almost don't want to cut. Oh, it looks so good. DJs to drop it to. Venues worthy of your grid. Photographers that make every hour golden hour. Really, vendors for any vibe. With the help of fresh reviews and a few useful filters, you can find your vendors faster than you can say, I do. The Knot Vendor Marketplace. Find vendors for every wedding at thenot.com slash audio.
1: All right, everybody, we are back and we are joined by Brian Toporek. He is with Bleacher Report. He is also a contributor for Liberty
3: Ball. There's Brian, what's going on? Well, uh, you know, Patrick Beverly, after most Sixers wins, has been tweeting about the Belt to Ass Tour this year. Uh, I I think the Sixers were on the wrong end of it tonight, so congrats to you and all the Pacers fans for uh, quite a beat up.
1: Yeah, it's just funny, and I I feel a little bit bad that you're coming on after, like, one of the best Pacer performances of the year, because... Look, I didn't think that things were going to be this way. No Tyrese Halliburton. You know, the Pacers had been sliding. Philly has won six in a row coming into this game. Didn't really know what to expect, but Indiana really showed up. I mean, watching the Pacers, uh, I saw you had a a tweet. You said, you know, look, I don't know if Indiana will win in in the first round, but I feel bad for whoever's going to have to play them because they're going to be exhausted. Watching this game, seeing this Pacers style, I mean, what were your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I've had the Pacers as one of my league past favorites all year. I think you guys have been playing an awesome, fun brand of basketball, even without Halliburton, which I think is honestly even more impressive, showing that, you know, as much as he is the engine of this team and was rightfully named an all-star starter tonight, it is just the style that you're going with this year, and you have the shooters to support it, and you've got, you know, the athletes to run at this pace all game. Like, you know, I think it's Teams are going to be more prepared for it in the playoffs, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be annoying to play against. It's like, you know, you still have to get back in transition on every single possession because the six or the, the Pacers are going to run the floor on you and, you know, get an easy shot if you don't. And they have enough three point shooters to really space out the defense. So I've been very impressed by the Pacers this year. I think they've been. You know both a, a very fun watch but also like a legitimately good team it's been a, a blast
1: and I know that yeah. lately you know while they've been sliding they've been losing close games to teams without Halliburton but one of the new additions Pascal Siakam a guy that thrives in transition you mentioned hey the Pacers they love to play in transition Siakam tonight his best game as a Pacer really influenced the game in many different ways 26 points 13 rebounds 10 assists. I mean a triple double on nine of thirteen shooting. What did you think of, you know, seeing Siakam out there? Because, you know, for for some people, they got to rub their eyes twice and be like, wow, he's no <laughs> longer a Toronto Raptor. He truly is an Indiana Pacer now.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's impressive how quickly he's adapted to Indiana's scheme. And I think it speaks to the versatility that probably appealed to them in the first place. I thought it was a great trade for them and a great gamble for them to make because he did seem to fit that style. I, Lord knows, having played for Nick Nurse over the past few years, you know he's great on the offensive class and he's going to run and transition a lot. So he's used to this up and down style. Uh, you know, I'm very curious to see what the team looks like at full strength once Halley's back and playing with him full-time. But in the meantime, you know, these are probably games that the Pacers wouldn't have won two weeks ago without Siakam. But now having that star to keep you afloat, even in games Halliburton misses, you know, raises your floor as well as your ceiling.
1: Yeah, and it just felt like there was something different about him tonight where he was very active and, and I felt like it was great to see. But overall for the Pacers, I mean, this was a an Indiana team that really just pounced on Philly early. Uh, the Indiana never trailed in this game, and they led by as much as 27. Look, no Tobias Harris tonight, um, no uh, Marcus Morris as well. What What happened with Philly that had been playing such good basketball that maybe tonight just didn't have it? I know the box score looks closer than what the game was, 12-point loss, but in reality, it looked like Philly was never really a threat in this game. What were your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was a you know 15, 20 point lead for most of the night. So the, the bench did a good job of trimming the it final did. score and keeping the net, you know, the net rating in decent shape. But yeah, I mean they Sixers were dead on arrival in this game. As you said, uh, you know, a, a number of injuries up and down the roster. Those two guys you mentioned, plus the Anthony Melton, who's been a starter for them all year. Uh Robert Covington, Mo Bamba, some you know, guys on the fringes of the rotation, but still key pieces when you're as depleted as you are you know we've been seeing a lot of Furkan Korkmaz lately for the Sixers and KJ Martin and Daniel House Jr. you know at full strength those guys don't play so the Sixers have had to lean on kind of their deep reserves and even you know Patrick Beverly moved in the starting lineup tonight with no Tobias Harris so you know I think the Sixers have done surprisingly well staying afloat despite this rash of injuries as of late but it was bound to catch up to them at some point. Uh, you know, Melton is traveling with them on the road trip. doesn't sound like Harris is going to be out very long. Covington's the one who's going to be out for at least three weeks. So you know they, they won't be at full strength for a while, but I think hopefully we'll see them get closer to it in future days. And I think you know a, a game like this when Indiana started hot, and was hit, knocking down threes early, running in transition early. Embiid has the knee scare early in the game. And after that, it's just like, all right, let's just get get everyone out healthy. That's the only thing that matters in this game. Yeah, and, you know, talk to me about that knee scare for Embiid because,
1: you know, Embiid's known to hit the floor a couple times, you know, in a game. And, you know, people have complained about that. But that one actually looked real, and it was like, okay, something's going on. How are they going to handle this situation he, he goes to the bench for a bit and then he returns. And, you know, I, I felt like that was one of those where how much more do you want to play Embiid when you know that this is probably going to be a tall task to come back in this game? Were you surprised that Embiid ended up playing, you know, a good amount of that third quarter following that knee injury?
3: I wish I was surprised because that would suggest the Sixers have been smart about handling Embiid injuries all year, which they have not been. We've seen this twice now in the past month or tonight's now the third time where he injures a body part, they let him play through it, and then he ended up missing multiple games after. We'll see if that happens this time, hopefully not, because the Sixers play the Denver Nuggets on Saturday. And, I, you know, as soon as he hurt the knee, I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. We're going to get Joel Embiid's ducking Nikola Jokic on the road <laughs> headlines for the next two days. So, you know, hopefully nothing swells up, but he was just dealing with left knee soreness. So that's what kept him out recently. Uh, you know, hurt the ankle as well a couple times. So it makes me nervous uh, in the, I'd say in the grander scheme, because he's already missed 10 games this year. So he can only miss seven more before he becomes ineligible for MVP for all NBA teams. You know, I don't know if he will win MVP if he plays the 65, but I think it's pretty safe to say if he plays the 65, he's at least making an all NBA team. So, you know, I at this point, He's already won one MVP. You would hope the only thing that matters is let's just do whatever it takes to get me to April as healthy as possible to put me in the best chance or best position to win a championship. But because of this new rule that mandates the 65 games, you know, I worry that we're going to get to March or April and he's going to have missed a couple more games and he's got to tough through some injuries that he probably shouldn't play through just to be eligible for MVP. So We'll see what happens, but, you know, for this one, not really surprised because we've seen this happen twice before in the last month, and this is just how they choose to handle it. And, you know, it's it's a great
1: question or you know, a great topic that you brought up that I have a question on. At first, I thought, hey, you know, this is going to be great because we're going to see more star players playing these games until you really realize how much is on the line. Like For a guy like Tyrese Halliburton yeah. now, he's got to play 60 games in order to activate all NBA and that that near $55 million in his contract, you start to then look down the line, well, he's only going to be able to miss a couple more games. And it's like Mm -hmm. you're seeing that situation now with Embiid. For him to only have seven games of wiggle room for the rest of the season is just, just not smart when you're looking at a bigger picture and you're looking for a Sixers team that's trying to get out of the second round and get to a conference final. So at first, like I said, I was someone that was really on board with this but now you start to see hey this is year one of it and guys have to miss games I mean what, what, what have been yeah. your thoughts on the new rule change
3: I was pretty lukewarm on it when it came out um for this exact reason I, I worry that we're gonna get into the situation where an NBA or a Halliburton's right on that 65 game cutoff and you know has to either cost themselves a chance of winning these awards or being eligible for these awards or plays through the injuries and you're not 100% at the playoffs. You know, I think this is just the NBA trying to force stars to play as many games as possible. They have new national TV deals coming up after the 24-25 season. So I'm fairly confident that was the main impetus behind this. Um, you know, when, the, when this came out initially, the first thing that came to my mind was you know what you brought up as well, these guys who have, you know, contracts, max contracts tied to making all NBA. So jumping from the 25 to the 30% max or the 30 to the 35. And I thought, you know, I went back and looked at how many guys over the past couple of years did not reach the 65 game threshold. I think it was 10 guys on the all NBA team who did not make it over the past three years, a 10 of 45. So, you know, and it's very selective criteria of who would get the escalator to the 30% or to the 35%. So it's not going to affect every guy. But, you know, if, if let's say three, four, five guys miss all NBA this year who otherwise would have made it, let's say, you know, MP is, does not play the 65. Let's say Halliburton does not play the 65. Jimmy Butler doesn't play the 65. All of a sudden you have guys making all NBA who might not have made it in a normal year, or even like last year, if the same rules were in place. And then if those guys become eligible for a Supermax, it's gonna put their teams in a tough situation because they aren't one of the 15 best players in the NBA. They just got named that because of a technicality. And now they're gonna be expecting, oh, well, I was named a third team all NBA, please give me 35% of your salary cap. And the team's gonna be like, no, I. Absolutely not. So I I think it's going to backfire on teams. And I think they just went along with it because they want to maximize the value of this new TV deal. But wouldn't totally shock me if we get toward the back half of this CBA and they amend that rule. Like once the new TV deals are in place and we start to see some of these unintended consequences, I could see both players and teams agreeing to amend the CBA to get rid of that.
1: Yeah, if anything, maybe meeting somewhere in the middle of maybe 72 games played, something where it's just like, if you're talking about a difference of seven games. You know, maybe that is a big difference in the season because there has to be some designated rest days for players. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no doubt about it. But, you know, getting back to this game, I mean, this was a game that pretty much everything went right for Indiana. But one of the big differences I felt was the rebounding advantage. Indiana was a plus 24 in this game. I mean, a guy like Dwell Embiid, we just saw him have 18 rebounds in the previous game, just seven tonight. Other than that, you know, honestly, only one other sixer had more than three rebounds in this game. Paul Reed with six, a lot of those came down the stretch. I mean, were you watching this game being like, you know, what what's going on? It just felt like Indiana had that advantage, 12 offensive rebounds uh, in this game. I mean, that, to me, that really stood out.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's hard to rebound when the other team's not missing shots. The, That's true. the Pacers shot 57% from the field, 42.9 from three. You know, there weren't as many rebound opportunities, but you're totally right to bring that up. Uh, you know, I think we've seen this with MB too. Every time he picks up one of these early in-game injuries, he's just less aggressive, not moving as well throughout the rest of the game. I think that was at least a factor here. Because uh, overall, the, the Sixers aren't like an elite rebounding team, but they're right middle of the pack. They're 10th in offensive rebounds per game, 17th in defensive rebounds per game. You know, offensive rebounding in particular has been a huge jump uh, compared to what they did in past years under Doc Rivers. So it's rare for them to lose the battle on the offensive glass as convincingly as they did this this game. and. You know, again, I think it goes back to no Tobias Harris, no Marcus Morris, no De'Anthony Melton. Like, they were missing a lot of size in this game. And unfortunately, the, the Pacers with Siakam certainly haven't.
1: Yes. And, and you know, uh, I thought, you know, points in the paint. Indiana dropped 68 uh, to, you know, Phillies 52. But one matchup I really want to talk about is Joel Embiid versus Miles Turner. Now, yeah. In the past, look, I I think many, and I mean just about everybody, could say that Joel Embiid has got the best of them in any of those type of matchups, but I really feel like historically Turner has struggled against Joel Embiid. Now, tonight, you look at it on paper, Embiid had 31 points on 11 of 20 shooting. I mean, you would think, hey, that's great. 19 of them came in the first half, and I know he didn't, I don't think he even played in the fourth quarter period, but for Turner, on the flip side, 20 points, 9 boards, 7 of 12 uh, from the field, 2 blocks. I just felt like Turner did a good job standing up to Embiid. He made him work for everything. And, you know, Embiid is, he makes some really tough shots. I mean, there were some mm-hmm. shots that he hit that I was like, there's just nothing Turner could have did there. What were your thoughts on Turner tonight? You know, being able to hold his own, I think, one, on the offensive side, but also, two, you know, make things tough for Embiid, who's going to obviously score 25 to 30 pretty much in his sleep.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think this was his 22nd straight game with 30 plus points, which is just outrageous. It's what but he does. You know? Yeah, uh I, I think you're totally right. Turner, this is probably his best game ever against Joel Embiid, or certainly or did one it? of his best game ever. Um, you know, I think again, this is where having Siakam helps as well, like having that extra size to throw at Embiid, being able to change up matchups on him. I thought you know the Pacers right away were just sending extra help at him. They were not willing to let him beat them, and he still scored thirty because, as you said, that's what he does. But you know, I think they were, especially given how many other guys were out for the Sixers, they were more than happy to let Kelly Oubre take as many shots as he wants, or Daniel House, or you know Paul Reed, KJ Martin. That's that's totally fine. They're just going to send two or three bodies at him beat on every time he touched the ball and. Look, you know he's got that mid-range jump shot from the free throw line or from the elbow that is basically unstoppable. I mean, even you know, seven foot four Victor Wembanyama on Monday night it has more length than anyone in the NBA right now, and still couldn't stop Embiid from hitting that shot. So it's you know there's only so much you could do with that, but only ten free throw attempts on the night is pretty good to limit him to. I mean, he can easily rack up fifteen or twenty and. What did Miles have? Four fouls, but, I mean, relatively stayed out of foul trouble. I feel like he's often, you know, oh, yeah. two early fouls, get sent to the bench, comes back, gets the third one, sent right back to the bench before the first half is over. So I thought he played a smart, disciplined game, and it was a good game plan from Rick Carlisle.
1: Yeah, I, I was very impressed with Turner's play tonight. I, I just feel like no one's going to shut Embiid down. That's just not going to happen. But could you make it tough for him? Could you keep him off the free throw line, just like you mentioned, that, those are, that really stood out to me, but you know, I always love hearing from a, you know, a, a non-pacer perspective, which player maybe stood out to you that, you know, you don't commonly get to watch or don't really hear about that kind of played well for Indiana tonight.
3: Yeah. Uh, I'd say Nemhard. Uh, again, with Halliburton out, he stepped up big time, 19 points, eight assists. I know he had six turnovers as well, but he seemed to have pretty solid control of the offense. I know Neesmith has been balling out this year, but he had a great game. Um, I mean, you know, obviously Siakam, yeah, uh course. is a well-known presence, but still a, a triple-double uh, certainly catches the eye. And then I know Obi Toppin lit the Sixers up earlier this year, but also, uh, you know, nice 13 points, five rebounds off the bench for him. So I thought it was just a, a solid, well-rounded performance from the whole team. And, you know, they, kudos to the Pacers because they just – did not even like every time the Sixers started to mount a run, the Pacers just stepped right back on their throat and did not let them generate any momentum all night.
1: Yeah, the Pacers' strength has been in numbers, and they had seven yeah. players tonight scoring double figures. Obviously, we, we mentioned earlier, no Tyrese Halliburton. So that's that says a lot, but for Andrew Nimhar, the 19 points was a season high, uh, eight assists, great to see. But yeah, you mentioned the six turnovers. I mean, that was that was brutal. That was the kind of that avenue where the Pacers struggled tonight is they did have 21 turnovers, but it's just good to know that Philly wasn't really able to, you know, leverage that to, to bring them back into the game. Now, I know he didn't do, eh, I mean, actually, you know, solid, you know, performance, but TJ McConnell, I mean, eight eight points, yeah. five assists, two steals. Uh, You know, it wasn't a game that you really needed McConnell to swing it for you. But years later, after the trust the process days, are you still looking <laughs> at McConnell like, Hey, he's he's still got it. He's still valuable out there, and as a, as a third string point guard for the Pacers, you know we feel he he's a blessing to have, and it doesn't make sense to yeah. move him for two second round picks or something that's not going to help you on the court. I mean, McConnell, all these years later, what, what's your thoughts? Oh yeah, he's still a fan
3: favorite in Philly. Um, you know, I, I'd say there are a lot of people earlier this year when they were, there were more rumors about them looking for a backup ball handler that, you know, people were like, Hey, can we, can we maybe bring TJ home? I, you know, I agree with you. I don't think the Pacers should be in any hurry to move him. He seems to love it there. He has been a great resource over the years for you guys, but yeah, I mean, he's basically your version of Pat Bev, but even better arguably, but you know, the, the tough, scrappy guy who's just annoying as hell to play against defensively could still run the offense. Is just a well-rounded basketball player. So I'm, I'm happy to see that he is thriving in Indiana. But you know that, especially now that Robert Covington's back in Philly, I wouldn't mind bringing the back game back together. Let's get Dario Saric back as well. Like we, you know, let's have yeah, a I, process reunion here.
1: I, I love it, and it's awesome that those guys have truly stuck around in the yeah. nba that, that's just uh you know like a, a feel-good story but you know they, they've earned it so that's cool to see um but yeah i mean a little bit bigger picture here you know tobias harris was out uh you know of this game but he's also an expiring contract roughly around I a couple, like about 38 million dollars it's in the high 30s you know in the beginning of the year there was a lot of chatter about trading uh, Tobias Harris, I feel like that chatter has died down uh, big time. But at the same point, I think people are expecting what's Philly going to do. Having made the James Harden trade earlier, they do have assets. Do you think that Philly will look to add to this team with the trade deadline approaching?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're sniffing around. Um, I I would be surprised if they make a big move like a Zach Levine even the DeJounte Murray, I don't think, are on the table. Of the big four who could have been available, I think OG Ananobi would have been the best fit for them. But they don't have the type of young prospects that New York did outside of Tyrese Maxey, and they're not giving up Tyrese Maxey for OG Anan- Ananobi, with all due respect. So they just couldn't beat what the Knicks offered. But you know, I think they're still going to look for additional depth, maybe a guy... You know, I know one of the Bogdanoviches has been uh, mentioned as fan favorites in Philly. You know, right now we're two weeks from the deadline, so a lot of teams are setting very unserious prices. Still, it seems you know the the rumors of Pistons want one good player, one good first round pick for Boyan Bogdanovich. It's like, okay, you want more than what the Raptors got for OG Ananobi? Good luck. Like, no, no team is going to meet that asking price. Um, but you know, if a team comes down, like if a Dorian Finney Smith is not only going to cost one first round pick instead of two, uh, you know, the Sixers do have a 2028 fully unprotected pick from the Clippers that I think is going to be very valuable. That is one that I would not move unless it is for a solid star. Um, you know, it's the Sixers are in a really interesting spot because not only do they have more than a hundred million dollars in expiring contracts, but they also have the opportunity to create upward of fifty-five million dollars of cap space this summer. um You know, obviously the free agent class is looking a lot weaker than it was even a couple weeks ago because I think it's pretty safe to say Siakam is likely to resign in Indiana. I cannot imagine OG Ananobi leaving New York because he's been such a perfect fit there. Kawhi Leonard's already off the market. Paul George might be off the market soon. Don't think James Harden is coming back to Philly. So, you know, they they could be in a position where they have all this money and they have no one to spend it on. Maybe they use some of that cap space, you know, to take on players in trades like what in Utah did with John Collins last year where, you know, teams, I think my guess, this is just pure prognostication is that I think, with all of the second apron penalties kicking in this summer, the you know the full array of frozen draft picks, it can't trade draft picks seven years in the future, can't aggregate contracts and trades. I think there are going to be a lot of teams looking to get off of long-term money and probably doing it for relatively cheap. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's the route that the Sixers went. But I think ahead of the trade deadline, I'd be pretty surprised if they got – you know, a, a big name player, I think it's more going to be along the lines of like fringe starter slash high-end bench player. So do you think
1: that they plan on bringing Tobias Harris back, or do you think this is one that they're going to ride it out for this season and, you know, then kind of see what happens in the off season?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably open to it either way. I would, I don't think they're going to bring him back at the price point that he was Not previously yet. at. So if. If that is his expectation, I would wish him well and, you know, tell him good luck finding that from another team. Um, You know, the the new salary floor rules do complicate that because teams now have to meet it by the first day of the season instead of the last day of the season. So maybe there will be a team that's willing to throw, you know, a big two-year offer at Tobias Harris, similar to what the Pacers did with Bruce Brown this offseason. I actually thought that was a fascinating uh, decision at the time and then now seeing how they used him as the big salary match for Siakam. I wrote something about this at Forbes recently, but I think that actually could be a new trend that teams, you know, do these like one or two year balloon payments basically with the intention of, okay, this is our, you know, our big salary matching piece. So I could see another team trying that with Tobias this off season, but you know, I think they, the Sixers at at the right price point, will be open to bringing him back. I would imagine it just also depends on you know if if they do go the cap space route and they do want to create fifty some million, that would require renouncing everyone. Or they could you know keep DeAnthony Melton his cap hold on their books. They can keep Tyrese Maxey on their books and then do all their free agent business and then resign him. Uh, they do that, they can create more than forty million, so they'll have flexibility either way. But you know, Tobias is the big swing piece in that regard. Um, if they want to go the cap space route, they basically have to let him go.
1: Yeah, it'll be very interesting. I just don't think there's going to be an offer out there for him anywhere near close to what he's been making because yeah. it was kind of a head scratcher when he got that big of a deal. Um, you know, because he's never been an all-star before, but good good player. But, um, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But overall, I mean, th- this Indiana team, you know, before we, we start to wrap up, I mean, this is a team that expectations coming into the year. Could you be a play-in team? Then I feel like when they realized that they really had momentum, they, they pushed the chips in a bit and said, hey, let's go for it. Let's go and let's acquire a guy such as a Pascal Siakam to be able to get this team in the playoffs Prove something to them and be able to get them to resign because, like you mentioned, this free agency class—it's not going to be that great compared to you know maybe what it could have been. So trading for players and then being able to resign them—that's always kind of been more of the the Pacers' route than being able to outright sign them in free agency. So when you look at this Pacers team, they've now beat Milwaukee four times out of five. Yeah, they beat Boston twice. They've beaten Philly twice. Who do you feel the Pacers would maybe have? you know, the best luck against in the playoffs. It doesn't have to be just either of those three teams, but say they are, you know, uh, a top eight seed. Who do you think they could potentially thrive against?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's Milwaukee feels like the safe pick just because they've proved it repeatedly this year against them. And, you know, with the hire of doc rivers, Lord knows Sixers fans are pretty familiar with him in recent years. Um, Could be an upgrade over Adrian Griffin for sure, but still not the greatest in terms of in-game adjustments adjustments Uh, or, yeah, game-to-game adjustments in the playoffs. So, you know, I think whatever team draws Milwaukee in the first round is probably going to be live to upset them. Um, No, I think, and yeah, again, like I said, you know, as you mentioned, I said it on Twitter, like, this is just not going to be a fun team to play in the playoffs because of the pace that they play at. And because they have so many weapons and because you have to be so locked in on them, uh, it's just you kind know, of, I, I, I think it's just going to wear teams down. And frankly, you know, right now you look at the standings, like Knicks, Cavaliers, Pacers, Heat are four, five, six, and seven. Orlando is eight. Like if those are the eight teams that make the playoffs, There isn't going to be an easy first round playoff series among them. I I think, you know, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly will likely be favored over whoever they draw. But all three of those teams are not guaranteed to make it out of the first round. So I think it should be, you know, assuming health, let's make sure everyone gets the playoffs healthy. But I think it's setting up to be a fascinating playoff bracket in the East this year. Yeah,
1: it really is, because, you know, when you talk about Milwaukee, I mean, that is uh, one of the one of the worst defensive units in the East right now. Their, their record is real good, but clearly they hit the panic button when they uh, fired Adrian Griffin, especially that early into his first year. Felt like a little bit of a panic. You know, we'll see what happens if, if they make a move, you know, at the trade deadline, anything of the sort. But, you know, the Knicks, Cavs, Celtics, Magic, you know, even the Heat, I mean, those are the top five defensive teams in the East. Shows they're all in the playoff picture. So I think Orlando, while they're young, they could still give someone, you know, a, a tough battle early on. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's expecting that they get out of the first round. But them just making the playoffs is a success. That's a victory. So it's it's been uh, it's been getting, getting fun because I feel like with the Pacers, where they're at now, it's like felt like, you know, they've lost a couple games. They're slipping. All of a sudden you win one game. Now you're back in the sixth spot all of a sudden, it looks like, hey, anything could happen. So we really want to just see this Pacers team healthy. Halliburton, Siakam, they've only gotten to play one game together. But at the same point, we know that the rest of the East is gearing up. We saw Miami make a move for Terry Rozier. You know, the Knicks made their move for OG, you know, just before uh, the New Year started. Obviously, in the offseason, you know, Boston goes out and they get Drew Holiday. And then Milwaukee, you know, they get Dame. So it, it feels like everybody starting to make a move. That's why I wonder if the pressure is on Philly a little bit to say, you know, what are you going to do? But you know, Hey, that remains to be seen. But Brian, I, I want to thank you very much for coming on the, the show tonight. Really appreciate having you on. You've also been a great sport given that, you know, it, it was a <laughs> tough game for you guys, but Hey, there's going to be some of those performances. And then there's going to be some other times where, you know, maybe MB drops 70 and 18,
3: and,
1: you know, <laughs> all, all of that. But, Brian, please tell everybody where they
3: could find you on social media and some of the awesome stuff that you're putting out. For sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Happy to come back, hopefully, with a Sixers win next time. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at B-t-o-p-o-r-e-k. Uh B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K. I cover them and cover the Sixers for Liberty Ballers at SB Nation and also for Forbes Sports and then check out Bleacher Report as well. I'm an editor there and we have a ton of great NBA content. Not just Pacers stuff but I'm sure there will be plenty of Hallie love especially tonight with him being named an All-Star starter. So, shouts to Hallie for a very well-deserved All-Star nod and shouts to the Pacers for (laughs) whooping the Sixers
1: tonight. Hey, we're excited, and I know we'll meet again. But, Brian, really appreciate you, everybody. Shoot Brian a follow, and, uh, hey, hope to chat soon.
3: For sure.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time,